it's Christine Garvin, and welcome back to day two of the 2019 Hormone Summit. I'm so glad that you're here and just soaking in all this great information that we have from these incredible hormonal experts from around the world. So today is, we're starting off with something that I find really extra special because I've employed it recently in my life and I'm like, okay, literally every woman needs to do this. <laughs> like it's helpful in so many ways. And that is pelvic floor physical therapy. And a lot of people that I'll bring it up to, they're like, what is that? Okay, I get that's some form of physical therapy, but they don't really understand what it's all about. And what I have been learning is it's so important to your overall health and well-being and many different aspects of your health. So I'm so excited that we have a pelvic floor physical therapist here today, Amanda Hayes Fugate. And she is um, actually local here in Asheville, um, which is really lucky for Asheville because she actually started the first um, pelvic health program in an outpatient clinic here in Asheville. And so really kind of got the whole thing going. And she's taught for the Herman and Wallace uh, Pelvic Rehab Institute. And um, since that time that she actually started at the outpatient clinic, she's now started her own practice called Pelvic Forward PT, which is pretty incredible. So we're lucky here in Asheville to be able to access her. But no matter where you are in the world watching this, you're going to get some incredible information from her today. So welcome so much, Amanda. Thank you for being here. Thrilled. Thank you for having Yay. me. <laughs> so, you know, as I said, uh, a lot of women just, they don't really know much about pelvic floor and definitely don't know about pelvic floor PT. So can you just start there? Telling yeah, us absolutely. Well. absolutely. So um, that's actually one of the reasons I got involved in being a pelvic physical therapist was there's so much that um, we don't typically talk about or know about this part of the body. And there's so many things that can be done. So um, pelvic physical therapy, I would say it's like all kinds of physical therapy, meaning it involves your muscles, your bones, and your nerves and mm -hmm. how all those work for your function. So if you know of a shoulder PT or a back PT mm -hmm. or a balance PT, you know, we're all looking at those aspects. But a pelvic PT has specialized training that we get after school to work with this part of the body. So usually I say it's kind of your shoulders to your knees, right? Like mm -hmm. everything that goes on in the core influences everything else. And so, mm -hmm. yes, when I get to run the world, um, every person yeah. at about 18 is going to go see a pelvic physical therapist so we can learn about this part of our body because we are really lacking, especially in the United States, with just general education about this part of our body. Um, and so we can help then avoid things that can come up later in life, or you can know where to go if you have problems in this area later. Yeah. So what yeah. are some of the problems that women might, you know, face that this physical therapy can help? Oh my goodness. So probably the most common thing that I see is around urinary incontinence or urinary dysfunction, right? So anytime that you leak when you don't want to. So whether that's things like coughing, sneezing, jumping, laughing kind of stuff, which we call stress incontinence, or more of a, I have to go right now or something's going to happen kind of sensation, which we call urge incontinence. And then you could have a combination of each of those that we call mixed. So that's sort of one area. Then we also can obviously have pain in any part of our body, right? So anything from pubic pain, eye or sacroiliac joint pain, low back hip pain, as well as in some of the other structures like vaginal pain, rectal pain, abdominal pain, tailbone pain, things along those lines. 
And then we also work with pregnancy, issues that arise in pregnancy or postpartum. So things like um, abdominal separation, which is commonly called diastasis recti, um, pelvic organ prolapse or the movement of the organs, um, as well as anything to do with sort of poop, right? So we do poop, pee, sex, and then sort of everything else. So constipation, fecal incontinence, um, difficulty or straining to go to the bathroom. So in a nutshell, we obviously, we even do more specialized things in sexual pain. So right, if it's pain with intercourse, pain with attempted contact with that part of the body, or even lack of sexual appreciation um, is something that we can work with as well. So yeah, kind of everything in here in one way, shape, or form. All the stuff that we usually don't talk about out loud. Exactly. Yes. I'm really fun at parties. Yes. <laughs> You're like, so have I told you about what you can do about your income? Exactly. Let's talk about that. Yeah. No, absolutely. So it's interesting for me because I was introduced to it um, in an awesome support group that I'm in because, you know, awesome. I'm this kind of yes. tragic situation last year where um, after I got fibroid removed, I ended up having sepsis and I ended up having an ostomy bag. And, you know, luckily I didn't really have issues with incontinence, but I didn't know if I would once I had my reversal surgery. Right? And, yeah. And in the group, a lot of people talked about like, oh, I've tried everything. And finally my doctor said, okay, go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. And I was yeah. like, oh, what is this? You know, yeah. I, like, I think I've heard of it before, but I didn't really know. And um, it's definitely something that I feel like, Anybody that has like gut issues, you know, that it can be really, really helpful for. And I remember hearing um, that, you know, I guess one of the biggest reasons that at least women, I don't know if it's women and men go into um, like assisted living facilities later in life is because of incontinence, right? And so, yes, absolutely. So yeah, and also people that have urinary incontinence, for example, are seven times more likely to have fecal incontinence in their uh, life, right? It's all the same muscles and nerves, which we can talk about. Yeah. So I'll oftentimes have women go, oh, well, it's, you know, my mom had it, or it's not that big of a deal because I've had a couple of kids. And it's like, well, usually problems in our body, if they're not dealt with, they turn into other problems or they start causing other problems. So I think, again, part of our, we've, we've kind of gone from, like, let's talk about none of this stuff yeah. to, oh, it's just natural. And this happens to everybody. And it's just something that I should put up with, right? Do we right. kind of, we kind of swing between those two things as opposed to more like awareness, education, and our body should our bodies do a great job of functioning. They really do. They do as much as they possibly can. Um, but sometimes they also need help. I mean, that's one of the things people will say to me is, well, why is this happening now? And it's like, it's probably been struggling for, for a little while, but now that this other thing has been added to it, it just can't overcome the demand or what have you. So yeah. <laughs> it's funny because we get it like in terms of taking care of our cars and we get it right. in terms of our bodies especially what we put them through you know are yes, absolutely you know gonna have some like things get out of whack sometimes and getting help with that is hugely helpful and you know well, absolutely I, yeah I went you know ultimately because I knew that I'd heard that it could help with scar tissue and obviously mm -hmm. I had a lot of scar tissue formation from all my surgeries and then also yeah. I wanted to rebuild my core and yes 
safely as possible because, you know, my, the rate of having a hernia once you've had an ostomy is pretty high. And so those were my two like main reasons for going. But honestly, like I went in there and, you know, we were, she's asking me all kinds of different questions. And I was like, yeah, I've kind of been having a little bit of pain, you know, like towards the top of my vagina. And I was a little worried because that's where the fibroid had been on the other side before, you know? And I was like, is it scar tissue? What's going on? And what was great was she was able to assess me and be like, no, your vaginal muscles are super tight. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. You know, and it's not something that I think that we think of, especially like a lot of people have heard at this point about Kegels or Kegels, however you want to say it. Um, but you know, a lot of times apparently it's like, we got to do the opposite too. If we're, if we're like sitting there like, Oh, all the way in. Yeah. So yeah. yeah I don't know if you want to talk about sort of like you mentioned the connection between the, the front area and the back area and all of that. Sure. So first of all, the pelvic floor has actually been some, in some ways become synonymous with Kegels. Like I've really had patients walk in and say, well, isn't a Kegel the pelvic floor? And it's like, okay, so let's talk about that. So first of all, the pelvic floor is 14 separate muscles or more, depending on how you define certain muscles, right? Yeah. So it's not just one thing for anything. Um, we've got a whole superficial layer of muscles that sort of attaches to the genitalia and into the sphincters. So these muscles in particular have to do with um, closing sphincters and opening sphincters, because like any other part of the body, we have to be able to do both to function well, as well as these have to do with um, stability of that external area and sexual appreciation. For women, this is what holds blood into certain areas so that things can, the clitoris can enlarge or can have different uh, changes to sensation. So we do want for these muscles to function well for sexual appreciation, orgasm, as well as bowel and bladder function. So then we have a layer behind that. And then we have sort of the deep layer of muscles. And this is sort of a hammock or a sling. Okay. So these muscles also have to do with things like stability. They are literally part of what holds all the pelvic organs mm -hmm. and support, as well as stability of just our entire core. So I've had women come to me that, that like they have very overly strong abdominals, because that's what they sort of focused on, and it's forcing a lot of pressure downward, or vice versa, right? We have to be working with the back, the diaphragm, and all of those different areas. So Kegels, yeah were first described by a doctor, a male doctor, an OBGYN, in the 1940s. And his name was Dr. Arnold Cagle. No one knows how to pronounce it correctly. It's <laughs> yeah, it's not just me. Say whatever you want, it's totally fine, right? <laughs> so what he had was he had a lot of women that were struggling with leakage after having a child, like we see today. And what he wanted to see is if he gave them an exercise, would that reduce the level of leakage that they had? So what he found then is still almost what we find true today, meaning through written or verbal instruction, about 50% of us can figure out somewhat how to use these muscles. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? How many times have people been instructed into how to squat or lift right. or bend? And those are things we can see and we see those in daily life. And so I think we're always amazed when we can't figure out how to use these muscles, even though it's actually more common to have difficulty using them. And so that we hear terms like Kegel, and everyone's like, I'm Kegeling. <laughs> I heard that in a yoga class, which is one. I heard that in a birth class. I read that in Cosmo. But we sort of focus on this. We focus on the squeeze and the lift of the muscles. And we don't talk a lot about like, oh, all of our muscles to be healthy also have to relax. If I walked around with my arm like this all day, 
my arm would very quickly start to develop problems, right? right. And so the same thing is true there. But we don't get that same sense of visual feedback that we get from the, from my arm. So if I did this, I would figure out, or someone would say, think right. something's going on with your arm. You need to be able to relax that. And so we need people oftentimes to just help us. Where are these muscles in space? What should they be doing when? Is that what I'm doing? The other aspect of that, I think, again, is if we get used to, I'm sure you probably, after your, um, your surgery, you started holding your body in a certain way, right, through limitation, discomfort. So once we do that for a while, our body literally starts running a script that this is how we function now, like this is how we stand, this is how we move. And so oftentimes people won't be aware that they're holding these muscles because this is what their body thinks is relaxed and so again we need more feedback about how and when and how that should function right so there's a lot of stuff i bet definitely after pregnancy and birth in particular because Uh, and obviously you have this thing that's taking up a lot of space in there and changes everything around so that can cause a lot of things so do you see that there's um uh, I don't, I don't necessarily like this word, but you know, sexual dysfunction or issues with that post giving birth. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For, um, honestly, the, the statistics are pretty consistent in terms of people from, um, even ages of 18 through, but particularly after birth, there are some special things that have happened, right? Yes. If you've had a vaginal delivery and you've had either tearing or an episiotomy, now there's scar tissue to that area, right? right? There also is immediately after birth, um, the body also does tend to protect some, right? It tends to kind of go, Oh, we've had a lot happening here. We're going to kind of protect this area. And sometimes your body then through movement and through all kinds of wonderful stuff has that go back down to a normal resting level. And in some people it doesn't also then they may have been encouraged now that you've had that baby be doing all these kegels and they may be also fighting themselves. Um, and then there's also the hormone influences of things like breastfeeding, um, which reduces lubrication and estrogen to the area. So that can also cause some um, dysfunction. And I think we have this very, it it depends. There's a lot of different, mindsets about intercourse particular well intercourse in general penetrating intercourse but especially after having a baby some people it's I've had my six-week checkup therefore the doctor said I was fine and I should be having intercourse and then there are people that are sort of like I'm gonna just wait and kind of see what happens sometimes it can even lead to fear like I'll have women nine and ten months afterwards and everyone makes their own choice but they're not having it because they're scared Will it feel different? Will it hurt? You know, how will that be after this period of time? And so all of those things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so deep, right? What women have to go through on the sort of physical, emotional, spiritual level with with all of society in particular, what it puts after, yeah, after giving birth. So as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, just two, like, obviously we know a baby can shift things around in there, but I, I guess fibroids or ovarian cysts also can kind of move things around, right? Because, so for me, one of the things that happened, I mean, we're not a hundred percent sure, but as far as I can tell, this wasn't really happening for me at least too bad before to where um, the fibroid where it was located, it pushed out my sacrum. Oh yeah. And so it was actually a big joke. I taught dance at the time and it was a big joke that I was like growing a tail because I couldn't even like, like I couldn't sit down on a yoga mat and lean back. Like it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And, um, at that time we didn't know it was a fibroid and then learned it was. And, you know, after 
my surgeries, it was tough because I lost so much weight. So it just was sticking out and I had to lay on my back for a while, you know, um, sleep that way. And finally, I kind of got a little bit of my butt back and it seemed to be better. But in the past couple months, it's really, I felt it again, you know. And so I was like, okay, you know, wondering. So when that fibroid was there, even though it's gone now, maybe the fascia kind of uh, kind of held my sacrum out or uh, is that possible? It could be that it could also be that again, like your, your movement patterns and things around that change mm-hmm. as well as your muscle response. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, again, there, there's a lot of sort of debate about like, uh, about things like fibroids and cysts because many women will have those in their lifetime, right. kind of like, for example, in the general population, disc herniations. There are mm-hmm. a lot of people walking around with disc herniations that have no pain or dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And there are people that do, right? So it's a little bit of a chicken and the egg in terms of not everyone that has this has pain or dysfunction. Right. And then there are people that don't that do. So for example, though, if you're, if you have something that's occupying a space and it's mm-hmm. talking to your nervous system and it's saying, you know, we have pressure here, we have pain here. Even when that thing is removed, moved or goes down or whatever it can still your body can still be running that script so sometimes it's part of the nervous system response sometimes it's some of the muscle response you know i have patients where um again they've got a tailbone injury and then their tailbone injury heals but the fact that it was just being held in that position those muscles don't go oh well the injury is gone now we'll just relax sometimes they're just still in that state and again they need something to kind of help with that so all of those things can be can be playing a role, especially with things like cysts and, and fibroids, because they can also kind of come and go. Yeah. Right. Right. And so are you kind of working to, um, to tell those muscles to release? Is that part of Mm -hmm. what you do? Yes. To release, to activate, you know, whatever it is that they're not doing to help the overall function. Um, The other thing that can happen is if you remember the pelvic floor, that deep layer is more of a bowl. Mm -hmm. So if one part's kind of overworking, then the other parts may not be doing their job as well or vice versa. So it's oftentimes about balancing what's happening in that whole area as opposed to just, oh, this one muscle has, has not just been running its script by itself. It's been, the pelvis I like to say is a little gossipy. It will just tell all of its friends you know like I'm not happy or this is happening and so you have to get all those things kind of communicating and talking and working together as opposed to just one sort of doing its own thing. I mean it's a holistic approach right that's how yeah. our yeah. so, so even if a woman does have you know maybe a larger fibroid or a variant cysts or yeah. multiple yeah you can work with her to kind of release mm-hmm. some of that pain even yes. while she has it Absolutely. I've had patients that have gone on to have surgery and we've worked kind of beforehand to help manage that. And afterwards, I've had patients that have had um, things that have arisen while they've got us. And sometimes again, sometimes cysts do like they go down, like that does go on. And so um, just worked with them during those periods of time. I've had patients not know that they've had cysts and then during some of their testing, yeah, that comes up later as well. So yes, unfortunately too, you know, probably statistically as we age in forties, we tend to get those kind of things more. And so, yes, um, we, I've had them in young ages and I've had people over time also. Yeah. Have those as well. mm-hmm. I think that's a really good thing for um, people to at least know of as an option yes. because yes. there's so much focus on the surgeries, particularly the fibroids, right? That that's kind of like most doctors go straight to hysterectomy. They're like, just get it all out because the fibroids are going to come back. Right. And then if you fight to get like what I got, a myomectomy, you know, that, that is technically, I guess, a 
more intense surgery, but you know, they're still willing to kind of go there instead of right. any other options, you know? Yeah. And, yes. Um, I mean, obviously what happened to me was extreme example, you know, it doesn't happen, but it is much more common to get nicked in um, a local organ or intestine during a gynecological surgery than a lot of people realize, you know? And so yeah. it's just like, what are things that we can do? Because, you know, even doctors will tell you, most women, when they hit menopause, their fibroids will, will go down because of the drop in estrogen, right? And so, it, you know, depending on where you are and how much the fibroids impacting you, like what can we do to mitigate some of the pain yes. and not necessarily have to choose surgery? Absolutely, yes. Or delay as long or to see mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. And I know that you're probably sure with some of your other guests talking about dietary, you know, all the things that can go into that as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, unfortunately, if you have some kind of a pelvic organ surgery, whether it's hysterectomy, bladder surgery, there, there's a fairly high level of needing to repeat some of those surgeries as well. Right. So I think that's the thing we don't talk about is we kind of go, oh, it's a hysterectomy. Oh, it's a tubal ligation. Or we sort of, again, sort of downplay yep. female surgery, especially Ooh. reproductive surgery. Yeah. And also like, this is a, a hysterectomy is a major surgery. Major. A vasectomy is, a, is an outpatient procedure, right? Yeah. Hysterectomy is a major surgery. Right, right. And so we always want to be aware, like, yes, they are, it's, I'm glad we have them as an option right. for people that absolutely need them. Um, but they do not come without potential for risks and side effects and all of those other things as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think that's such a good point. And it's interesting, right? Because now you can get hysterectomies like in and out, you know, like at where I got mine done and I won't say the place, but it was a minimally invasive surgical center that was focused on that. And so, you know, it was funny because the hysterectomy, it was in and out one day versus myomectomy. I did, you know, had to spend the night. And so I think that does tell women like, Oh, it's not that big a deal. And it can take months to recover, you know, Absolutely. And, and because it's so common, I think that we don't think about that a lot. And so it's, it's just, you know, I I agree. It's like, sometimes it's absolutely necessary, but I feel like we should have a little bit more um, informed consent around this stuff, you know, than we do. Yeah. I totally agree. I've, I've had, um, I think what happens is, you know, like you, you, you practice in an area and people will tell you what it is that they need. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I was not um, thinking about as much was I've had many people come to me and say, like, I've had my hysterectomy and whether that was a wonderful experience or a bad experience. And then now I've just been told again, you're good, you're healthy. Yeah. And they don't know what to do to come back from a surgery like that or what to even be aware of or talk about like scar tissue, core stability, movement. Um, how did your intestines do after that surgery? Like all those things. And I was like, Oh, we've got to start like putting together some great resources for women after this kind of thing. Cause it's just something, unfortunately, like a lot of surgeries that once the organ, once you're healed, then that's sort of where the, the line ends. And there's all the living and function that needs to go on after that. Right. So, yeah, so that's on my, on my radar is I want to put together a class for like, post hysterectomy care, you know, so what you can do to help work on that. That is awesome. I'm so glad that you're going to do that because that really is the truth of our medical system, right? Is that it's so um, separated, if you want to say that they're like, okay, we've done our bit. You're fine. Yes. The importance of not falling through the cracks because the real healing comes in the months later. Yes. Yeah. So in, in that situation, I mean, how long do you think that women should do pelvic floor PT, like post-surgery? I mean, I know there's no set time. Exactly. 
it depends on a lot of different factors. Like I've got women who like their goal is to return to things like CrossFit, right? Yeah. So they have, you know, if you want to um, be doing such high level activities, it can take months. Now that doesn't mean that you're like seeing someone twice a week for that period of time, but having someone monitor you and making sure that you are using your muscles properly, not compensating, um, all the different things that you need to be doing. Mm -hmm. um, I've had women that have come in and it was like, let's teach you some scar tissue mobilization. Let's make sure that you are getting that, that all the different abdominal muscle firing back evenly. And then we make sure the pelvic floor hasn't compensated and it can be a, you know, a short period of time for what it is that they want to be doing in terms of that. So I think there's, there's the full gamut. Um, but I'm, I'm always surprised that, you know, we, someone has a ankle sprain and we send someone to 12 weeks of physical therapy, but someone has a, a hysterectomy and we're just like, nope, you're good. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. I won't even go on that tangent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, one of the things I've been telling people that I've, I mean, I've really loved all sort of the facets that have been happening with the pelvic floor PT, but um, to have, like I said, I was really scared because yes. I had, you know, I was a dancer before and I used my core oh, a lot. Awesome. I had a very strong core and I didn't know if I'd ever be able to have that kind of strength back again. And yeah. Yeah, I think it's 30 to 40% of people that have an ostomy reversal will end up having hernia. So this is like, they're basically like, don't ever do any real exercise again in your life, you know? And you're like, oh, awesome. sad and scary. Same yeah. thing like we, again, post-pregnancy is like, well, don't ever, don't lift or don't lift 20 pounds. And yeah. it's like, well, that might be true for you. That might not be true right. for you as a person. Um, so just having, yes, I'm sorry. That, yeah. Yeah. You want to the dynamic, interesting, empowered life. And you could probably get there if you had the right training. Exactly. Not for everybody, but yeah. Yeah. And it's what has made me feel really comfortable because it mm -hmm. is somebody like assessing me and feeling right. exactly, you know, what is moving around here as I do exercises. Yeah. And so now like I, you know, went from, always using a binder and um, really not doing, I mean, I was doing a little bit of planks, but I was really not doing anything that engaged my core too, too much, you know? Um, and now I feel like I'm almost back to what I could do before, you know, and just, yeah. And just like less than a couple of months of, you know, pelvic floor PT. So I'm like, people like do it, you know, for any kind of injury in that area and just, you know, going back to, because I really kind of want to circle back, like we talked a little bit mm -hmm. about the sexuality part and like how important yeah. it is in that, but also like I have felt like I've connected with my vagina in a mm -hmm. very non-sexual way that's very, um, almost like caretaking yeah. in a way that's totally. been beautiful, right? And so I don't know if that's something that you see with your clients too. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think there's so many different ways that we, um, we can talk about that, but that is, like, that is, if I had to pick like one of the reasons I got into pelvic PT, like that is it. Mm. We just do not talk about this part of our body. Most people know so much more about their shoulders and their hearts and all, all parts of our bodies are important. Mm -hmm. And I think that is true sort of societally. Um, and even if we want to know about this part of our body. Um, so for example, like you walk around and you're like, I see that person's neck. I've seen thousands of necks in my lifetime. My neck kind of looks like that. Like this is how it works. Mm -hmm. And we don't have that for this part of the body. So people are turning to things like the internet, which is wonderful and 
not wonderful. <laughs> um, if you literally Google like images of vulvas or labias, like what you're going to find is mainly very light skinned people mm -hmm. with very small body types with very little hair. Like that's what you're going to see. Mm -hmm. So if you look different than that, you may decide something is wrong or bad about that part of your body. Um, labiaplasty or labial surgery, like, like um, surgery for the vaginal labia mm -hmm. is the leading elective cosmetic surgery in our country and it is growing um the desire to just change what that part of our body looks like even though because we don't have any reference right to there's like everything else like all kinds of bodies there's a wide variety of healthy and normal there is no one thing and so then most of us don't know like Yes, what is the vagina and how does it function? Where is the urethra? Have you seen yours? Like, where is it? What should it look like? Um, the rectum, it's all those different parts. We also know for, not only for health, right? If we don't know what a part of our body should look like or what it should feel like, it's harder for us to know if something starts going wrong or isn't functioning properly. Um, and then we also, unfortunately, then also tend to take other people's feedback a little bit more strongly so um if you, have you ever seen the vagina the vagina booth on youtube no I gotta look oh you should it's <laughs> great it was a graduate student study where they had a, basically a big shower curtain mm -hmm. and women got to take a mirror and look at their own vulva like mm -hmm. you don't look at it they got to look at their own and then basically they just talked about what the experience was like and you know this women were 20 to 50 years old and had never looked at this part of their body and one of them in particular talked about like getting feedback from a partner that it looked that something was wrong with it that it looked wrong so then she had assumed, right, it was bad, there was something wrong. And so he shows her looking at this and she's like, I'm gonna assume that's what they look like, right? That's what most people look like. And so I think it is, it is very empowering, I think, to just own what our body looks like. It decreases shame and fear, um, as well as we've got some great studies about knowledge in this part of the body improves sexual appreciation, sexual function, and corrects knowledge. They actually did a great study that if you get um, information from friends and family, it is inversely correlated with having improved sexual function. So basically, we get a ton of misinformation. Um, so yeah, so I'm all about for every reason people knowing about this part of the body. Because again, think about all those great functions, right? Poop, pee, sex, stability, every force up through goes through this part of our body eventually. So knowing how that works yeah. is great for all of your functions. Sorry, I know this is totally like, I can just yeah. go on and on about all of it. No, I think this is so perfect. I mean, you know, as you were talking, I was even thinking like how many women and definitely men don't even know that, you know, the area as a whole is called the vulva. And it's right. yes. the internal part. You vulva, know? Yeah. vestibule, vagina. What are these parts called? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, similarly, as I talked about, like people with hysterectomies, I got a lot of emails from moms. How do I tell my daughter about this? How do I talk to them? Um, because I think like parents want to do that, but then they don't feel equipped. Mm -hmm. So then like, oh, the school will take care of it. And as we know in our country, that's not really happening. Right. And then oh, the doctor will take care of it. And so it just kind of keeps getting passed along. People don't have a place to get information. Yeah. And one of the other things I really have, you know, enjoyed about the process, and it's funny because I'll tell some women and they'll be like, how does that make you feel? But, you know, we really, the only time anybody other than either sexually touching us or giving birth or having our periods, mm -hmm. which people don't even like to deal with that usually, you know, a lot of times, sure. 
um, the only time that we're kind of touched down there is by a OBGYN, right? And it's very like clinical and very like, we're just checking for this thing, you know? And so in going to public floor PT, and, and I know some women are a little like, oh, I have to get an internal assessment, you know? But for me, that was like, oh, wow. Okay, so I can feel these muscles now in a very different way. I'm very tuned into them. Like I notice all the time now that I'm holding them, you know? And yeah. just how powerful that is. And then to have, I think... Um, it's kind of amazing to me. It's even part of like normal American healthcare system because usually anything this good isn't, <laughs> sorry, that, that's a little dig right there. But, um, you know, it, it's to, to work with a public floor PT where you're just sort of talking as you're being assessed and the, the normalizing of it. And, you know, and even like, I mean, I've been in there a couple of times when I've had my period and it's like, Clinically, that's not an issue, you know? And so I think it just takes a lot of shame away from that area. And I thought about women that have a lot of trauma, you know, whatever kind of trauma. I mean, we all have some kind of trauma usually going on in that area, but how that can help in healing that too. Absolutely. Um, you know, helping people to sort of reassociate with this part mm -hmm. of the body. Um, like, like you were speaking about, like we, not everyone is, is wanting to talk about this part of the body the, the whole session. Right. But, you know, I make, like, I'll have people hold the model. This is what I'm touching. Mm -hmm. You can see where it is. What does mm -hmm. this feel like to you? Mm -hmm. Does it feel as uncomfortable? Because a lot of us, once we've had trauma or fear in this part of our body, again, we naturally guard against it. Yes. And we'll even do that preventatively. Right? Yeah. So work with people on let, let's just pause like is this actually painful like are you yeah. feeling pain or discomfort right well, no right so we can start to make new associations mm. and make new pathways in our brain mm -hmm. about what touch this part of the body can be or even having them for not even for for um working around pleasure but just for hygiene like what happens yeah. when you touch here what are areas that are you're more comfortable with or less comfortable with mm -hmm. let's look at those um again i think we put a lot of um as just one example i get women again after birth and they've had a scar they had a episiotomy or a scar a tear mm -hmm. and i think in our minds when we hear scar we think yeah know, massive um and when you see a scar, typically to that um, that area, that perineal body, yeah. it's a very faint white line. Oftentimes, you can't even find it. Wow. And so, they're just showing them that, and so, like, yeah, I think in our mind we have it's going to look this very wow. different way. And really, it's 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 not like it is. This is what this looks like, or what yes, what the vulva will look like afterwards, or what have you. So yes, um, work a lot with. Um, again, I think I agree with you. We have trauma from many different things. I have women who have had traumatic experiences trying to insert a tampon, right. and that has very affected um, their contact with this part of the body. So there's lots of different ways that can look. But learning and becoming associated with it again, yes. Yeah, it just heals on so many levels. It's pretty Yeah. yeah. Um, God, there was something I was going to go back to the um, the – sexuality part and now it, it left my mind but I'm sure it'll come back if it's important uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so is there like do you recommend for women um I mean I know like we kind of talked about early on that you know you would love when they're 18 to come in but is there a particular sign that women should let you know look for to come in or um you know if it's not obvious kind of like okay I just gave birth and this happened or I've had surgery and this Absolutely. happened yeah. So what I would say is, I mean, any form of urinary leakage, again, I think this is one thing in our society that we kind of go, 
oh, but I mean, I've had 15, you know, women, well, we, we always kind of, what I hear from people as well, it's age and babies, right? I'm in my 30s or 40s and I've had a couple of babies. And that's actually not true. We've got studies that I've had 15-year-old patients, you know, women that have not gone through those processes. And we especially know that for our athletes. Mm-hmm. And so what I wonder is some of the things we're talking about, like women having hysterectomies in their 40s, what if some of this stuff started when they were teenagers? So if you're having, if you're doing high level activities, if you've got a trainer or a coach for those other parts of your body, I think you should have a pelvic PT. Um, If you're having leakage for any reason, I recommend you go see someone, or if you're having pain for any reason. Mm. Now, I wanna be 100% clear. Not every sexual encounter or not everything that someone's gonna have is gonna be, you should never have pain. Right. During certain parts of your cycle, if you don't have adequate lubrication and things like that, can you have an experience, if you're not as aroused as much, can you have an experience that's not quite 100%? Sure. Yeah. You don't need to rush the pelvic PT for that. But if that starts to grow or continues, absolutely, come and see someone. Unfortunately, I usually see people, I've, I've not had intercourse in four years because it's been so painful, yeah. right? It's like, like okay. at the breaking point. Yeah. Yes. Let's get to that ahead of time. Yeah. yeah. No, unfortunately, and it affects people's not only self-image, but relationships and things along those lines as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I remembered what I was going to say earlier, which, uh, you know, I know there's not really research on this, but you had mentioned about, um, you know, how we see ourselves um, impacts our sex, our sexuality and, and Absolutely. you know, research around that. But I, I almost wondered too, if um, there is a connection between you know, getting this work done and your hormones, because obviously your hormones are impactful on if you're feeling sexy or not, right? There's different hormonal shifts that are happening to even create that. And so I wonder if it actually can literally impact your hormones to get pelvic therapy. I I would love to see some research on that. No, I mean, it really wouldn't be really interesting. Um, you know, we, um, you know, blood flow, you know, all of those things, yes, can hugely impact that. And I was going to say, I actually did have a study where it talked about um, awareness of this part of the body improving, and I can't find it right now, but I'll get it to you. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I just, I, my mind starts going, I'm like, well, if this shifts, then it's probably, right? Because our hormones are so intric- intricately connected with our, uh, you know, arousal and all those things too, so... Yeah, And the more that we feel like we can engage in those activities and we have those movements of hormones, you know, that can also keep our ovaries more healthy, you know, all of those kind of things yeah. as well. So yeah, it's a deeply empowered place to be. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my God, this has been great. Thank you so much for you know, being here and answering so all these fun. questions. And Thank you for really, putting this together for women. Yes. yes. Yeah. I just, you know, I really think that, um, I mean, a, a lot of what we're covering, covering in the Hormone Summit women may or may not have heard quite that much about, but this, I think a lot of women have probably heard the least about. And that's why I really wanted to highlight it because I think it is something that every woman should do at some point in their adult life, you know, or teenage too. And um, it can really take care of so many problems that we are told are just what we have to live with as we've talked about, you know, so, all right. So how can people get in touch with you? Absolutely. So I am at pelvicforward.com. I'm also um, at pelvicforward on Instagram um, and pelvicforward on Facebook. Um, I'm going to be putting together some, I don't have any online classes now to talk more about this kind of stuff, but I'm going to be. So keep in touch. You can sign up for my email group as well. 
Nice. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So be sure you follow Amanda because I definitely know that these programs are going to be amazing when they come out. So, and she has a really fun um, social media presence anyway and does really fun videos. So even if you're not in Asheville, you can, you know, yeah. check those out and really um, gain some great information from them. And if you are in Asheville, hit her up. <laughs> Go see her. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for being with us here today. This is our first interview on day two so we'll have another one coming out later today and i hope that you enjoy the rest of the summit we'll see you soon